Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts. Share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value from it. And if you're really feeling special, please leave a review of Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. Now on to today's episode, I'm sitting down with Kelsey Chapman, who is an author, podcaster, and personal cheerleader to women building their dream life and business. She also just wrote an amazing book called What They Taught Me, Recognizing the Mentors Who Will Take You From Dream to Done. This book was just released February 9th of 2021, so I'm pumped to dive into her book. Also, what it was like writing it. And then Kelsey and I are also going to chat about just learning lessons and failures that she has experienced and ways that she's overcame them. So I'm confident all the listeners out there are going to get a lot of value from her story and her book that she just wrote. Other than that, wanted to go ahead and say that as we always say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Kelsey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, sit down on the Next Level Minds podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm pumped to be here today. Yeah, no, I'm super excited. And I'm even more excited that we just happen to have the last name, same last name. I think that's (laughs) pretty crazy. So yeah, the Chapmans have to, you know, band together. Yeah, (laughs) that's what like, (laughs) I I get a lot of emails to be on the podcast just because it's starting to grow more. And when you emailed me, I was reading through it. And then you said, you know, same last name, have to stick together. I was like, this is so funny. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. How's your week been so far, though? Good. You know, just staying warm. It's obviously snowing pretty much everywhere except where you are. And so I'm just staying warm with our 10 inches of snow on the ground. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I was telling you earlier before we started, it's not snowing here. It's just like some cold rain and ice. So Hopefully we'll get some snow, but probably not type of things. So. Yeah, we. I can send it your way. I'm ready for it to leave at this point. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I feel like people that don't get it a lot, like Nashville, for example, they're like, oh, this is cool for a day, but let's get rid of this thing. Yeah, like, let's move on, okay? You know, I'm trying to get some cabinets installed in my house, and it keeps getting pushed back because of the snow. So I'm ready for it to move on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so before we dive into, like, some questions here about your background, I saw on LinkedIn that you said you're surviving 98% off iced coffee. Uh, so do you have like a favorite iced coffee or usually just stick to the regular? Oh, do I have a favorite iced coffee? So the perfect recipe that I think everyone should be aware of is a grande iced coffee for all of you Starbucks haters out there. Hear me out. This is so good. 
a grande iced coffee, no classic syrup, one pump of mocha, one pump of vanilla, and cream. But you don't want that classic because it would be way too sweet at that point. So just make sure you say none of that. Um, and you know what? It might be a little extra to order it that way, but it tastes like chocolate milk and coffee combined. And you will thank yourself. That does sound really good. <laughs> I'm hey, all, you can message me for that yeah. and I'll, I'll send you the recipe. <laughs> yeah. When I was in college, I was very uh, just skeptical to order those type of, I guess, quote unquote, girly style coffees in front of people because they yell out your name like, Chris, we have, you know, the double mocha latte. So I would always go to like the person behind me and say, hey, like, I'll give you five bucks if you can order this for me. So <laughs> now I'm definitely past that phase. But yeah, so. Hey, no shame. Order your chocolate milk and call it a day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, I'll have to put that recipe in the show notes because that sounds really good. It's pretty good. Spoken from a former barista in my post-college finding myself season of life. So I learned exactly what I liked. Did you just kind of put that together like when you were working in the coffee shop or how did that think somewhere along the way, you know, I used to be just a standard iced coffee girl and I kind of tinkered and that's Mm -hmm. where I arrived. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So really exciting stuff. Uh, Your book launched February 9th. So that's really exciting. Um, Congratulations on that. Um, I would love if you could just tell us before we kind of touch on your story a little bit, just about the book and, you know, some themes in it, because I'm sure some of the listeners would love to hear it. Totally. Well, I just wrote a book called What They Taught Me, Recognizing the Mentors Who Will Take You from Dream to Done. And, you know, I've dreamt of being a writer since I was a little girl. I I really got started in this digital marketing online business space really to propel my writing career forward. It's the one consistent dream I've had since day one. And I'm someone with like 15 dreams a day. And so when I got into this online space, I really only made a platform here in order to write. And so I thought, hey, let's start with a blog. Maybe this can build into something. We can show like a proof of concept to publishers. And here we are six years later. It is not for the faint of heart. But when I finally sat down to write this book about mentorship, which is like the least sexy topic out there, but I promise you it's powerful. (laughs) Um, You know, I sat down to write this book about mentorship and I I actually didn't know what I'd write. I really just sat down to write. And this is what came out of me. And it made so much sense. You know, as I started writing and had that first chapter about Linnell, who loved me super sacrificially when it cost her something, when it was totally inconvenient to invest in me, I realized, wow, I've had these people do this in my life and my career. And I think a lot of people our age are asking, how do I find a mentor? How did you find these mentors? So I started kind of writing these stories of these people who have invested in me. And I realized as I was writing, well, this is kind of my life message. I mean, this has played into my career too. It's allowed me to turn around and be a mentor. And so because I've had these people model for me, hey, I'll pass along everything I know so that you can get ahead. It's shown me how to do that for someone just a few steps behind me. And so it's really woven into everything I do. But I wrote my stories in a book called What They Taught Me. And it's been really fun to get it out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen like a lot of your Instagram pictures of just holding up the book. I mean, obviously, like so exciting that that you just got that launch. So it is so fun to have it out into the world. I've never worked harder for a $15 product in my life. <laughs> wow. 
Um, that's really cool too, that you mentioned you had that dream ever since, you know, you were little because it's almost like now that it's finally coming to fruition, obviously that's so much excitement behind that dream. So. Yeah, it is. It's wild. Like some days it doesn't feel real or sometimes Mm. it feels kind of like quiet and anticlimactic of like, Oh, like it's done. Okay. Now what do I do? (laughs) And so it's been an interesting season and brought up a lot of identity stuff. You know, I dreamt of writing. I didn't necessarily dream of selling my stories. No author gets into writing for the selling side of it. Right. Mm. And so that has been really interesting because I can sell an e-course or a service all day long, but selling my stories is interesting. It's brought up a lot of kind of internal work I've had to do. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So Going on your background a little bit, obviously you had that dream to write the book and I know now you're a published author and you're obviously really involved in your space just from a media standpoint, really in, empowering people to, to reach their full life. So I would love if you could just kind of give a background, you know, maybe what your childhood was like and everything like that. Oh yeah, man. Well, my childhood, it is, it is interesting. You know, my parents are, they are as fun as they come. I grew up on the lake every single weekend. My dad owns a small business. My mom travels for her job. And so I just watched my parents crush it. Um, we definitely had our own unique brain, own unique brand of family pain and heartache. It was certainly not easy. Um, but I think they just modeled for me curiosity. Um, You know, I watched my mom crushing it in her career unapologetically. I watched my dad build business connections super relationally, which I think sometimes the online business space is lacking Mm. that relational component of like doing business with your friends, not Mm. just a transaction or a dollar sign. And so I watched this, you know, play out with my parents. And even from a young age, I think I equated money to freedom. You know, I realized I can have a car wash in my neighborhood and make $60 and then I can go to the movies whenever I want. Or I'm going to sell business cards to my mom's coworkers. I'm going to hand draw draw them and I'm going to print them out on our printer and sell them. And obviously they just bought them to be nice. They're not handing that out at business meetings. And, you know, I remember Sue McFarland, my mom's boss, bought business cards from me that I handmade. And so I just have always had these little entrepreneurial endeavors to make money because that money provided freedom for me. Um, You know, as I kind of got into high school, I worked like a normal job. I was a lifeguard, but then in college, once again, I was crafting these little headbands and belts, selling them in a local boutique. And that was my shopping money. That was my fun money. And so I, you know, have always learned how to do something and then thought, let's see how I can sell it. Maybe it's not a forever thing, but let's roll with it for the season. And I think that that curiosity has served me well. And man, it's been a part of who I am for as far back as I can remember if I think about it. Yeah, no, totally agree. I I liked what you mentioned just about kind of the excitement behind making money as a kid. I think like I went through a similar process and I think it's so cool because, you know, you make 40 bucks and you're 13, 12 years old. You feel so rich. You're like, yes, you're like, <laughs> I'm rich. I'm going to see, you know, baby mama 16 times this week or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then that like, it, 
I like the curiosity part too. Like there's that phrase, you know, curiosity killed the cat, but I honestly don't really agree with that phrase because curiosity mm-hmm. opens the door for so many opportunities. So yeah, totally. I am 100% with you. Curiosity is a good thing and highly valuable. So you mentioned online business and maybe the relationships aren't really there as much. I'm honestly just curious right now with Zoom working from home, like I've sat behind a computer meeting customers for 11 months now, which normally would be in person. So kind of what's your advice there? Any strategies you have to build that relationship? Yeah, I think I think you can still maintain relational connection, but you know, five minutes at the beginning of a Zoom call, how are you doing? How are your kids? Hey, I know you have three kids at home while you're trying to maintain this call and they're probably going haywire in the back room. You doing okay? (laughs) I was on a Zoom call yesterday with my business coach and my husband walked in, didn't realize I was on the call and started changing in front of the camera. And I was like, so sorry. The guy was like, hey, I'm a dude. It happens. I've seen it. (laughs) So it's just a unique season. And I think if you take a moment to just acknowledge like, Hey, how's your current life situation going on? It's a lot different than normal. That acknowledgement goes a long way. And then, you know, operating in the e-course space, the digital marketing space, you work with a lot of affiliates in my industry. And so affiliates can quickly become dollar signs and like, okay, if I connect with you, you're going to make me money. And it's like, It's more than that. I'm used to watching my dad, who runs a flooring company, golf with the builders. Because when the builders buy our flooring, you know, that keeps us in business. But that golf game, I I don't Matt, you're a golfer. You're going to have to tell me the right words for it. Clearly, I'm not. But that, that time spent golfing, they're not talking about business on the course. They're just being friends. And I think that's something we sometimes are lacking in this online space is just time and space for personal connection that's not getting straight down to business. And that will carry you because it's when you build that trusted camaraderie with people that you do business with them for 30 years, for 40 years. That's what I want. I don't want someone to just be a dollar sign to me. Yeah. I loved your point about not being transactional, but actually working to build a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I I think that's something that local brick and mortar business does really well. And and this is just relatively a new space. I mean, we've only been doing business online for what, like 20 years tops. And even those people who've been it for 20 years, it drastically shifted between like 2000 and 2010. So really 10 years in the current format. And so it's just different. It's new. And we've got to build in some business etiquette, I guess. Yeah, totally agree. And like every successful sales call I've had and built the relationship first of like, hey, how many kids do you have? How's the homeschooling? Do you have a dog? I hear it barking. Like I hopped on one the other day. We talked for 45 minutes and then he's like, oh, we're coming up on an hour. And then we finalized a partnership and we only talked about it for two minutes type of thing. So. Yep. Yep. And I think sometimes in people's quest for efficiency, we we don't always value those mm. conversations that aren't um, strictly down to business right away. But I think if we let go of like the constant need for efficiency, we might actually end up landing more deals or gaining more business through sheer relational connection. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And going back to your point, you did title it correctly. Golf match, playing golf. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not sure if I said that right. <laughs> yeah. And I do love golf, but I'm really bad. So it's just a fun <laughs> hobby for me. Um, okay. Something I definitely want to touch on. Um, 2020, kind of still 2021, like a lot of people lost things, jobs, careers, businesses. I know something that you told me um, was one of the failures you had was basically having a six figure business pretty much disappear overnight. So would you mind elaborating on that? Oh yeah. Well, man, 2019 was a fun year. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. It was awful. <laughs> um, you know, I think 2019 actually set me up to weather 2020 mm. really well. Um, in 2019, I was running an Instagram agency. I've been running it for like four years. I really learned how to maximize and leverage Instagram for my own business. Because when I got into this online space, I was like, I don't have $100,000 to run Facebook ads. So how do I grow my platform? And I quickly realized how to grow and how to grow a demographic of people or an audience of people within your ideal demographic, you know, people who wanted to follow you, you know, I would target people who followed other authors like me or other e-course creators like me, because I thought if they like them, they'll like me, let's roll with it. <laughs> and so I ended up building this Instagram agency really through word of mouth. I never, you know, entered this online space to be in digital marketing, although I've had that entrepreneurial spirit since I was really young. Um, and I'd always had teachers say like you've got to go into marketing and I'm like no thank you I'm going to do something more noble with my life and um I just kind of thought a bit of sleazy or I don't know what I thought but I, I didn't have you know a picture of how I could fit in that mold but when I realized oh I built an audience for myself and a lot of businesses have a need of growing their audience because when they expand their reach they can get their product, service, message, whatever in front of more people. This helps people. And so I, I launched this agency without really calling it an agency at first. I really just had a profile on Upwork. Mm. And I quickly became their top Instagram freelancer. At some point, I got kicked off because I took a payment on PayPal and um, thought my life was over. But my clients came with me. And then I started activating some referral incentives with them and soon enough it went from 10 to 20 and by the time I wrapped up shop with an algorithm change in 2019 I had 50 clients a month so over time I had my hands on probably 400 Instagram accounts mm. our team managing them and then we had about 2,000 students come through my e-course because sometimes mm. when people couldn't afford the done-for-you services I would say, hey, here's a tutorial of how to do it yourself. Half the time, people would still take the tutorial and say, meh, I don't want to do this. Can I still hire you? Like, yeah. I don't want to do that. And so we grew and we grew fast. It was a hardcore lesson in scaling for me and scaling with zero boundaries. I learned a lot in a few years. And I knew, like, Facebook is owned by Instagram. So the writing on the wall was at some point, this will shift to ads only. Like the only way to grow will be ads. And so I knew it was coming. I would literally onboard clients and say, we're going to ride this wave as long as we can. We're going to grow. And at some point, we're not going to be able to anymore. 
And one day in April of 2019, I woke up and it was over. You know, my Taipei clients had already messaged me at 6 a.m. Like, have you seen? And so that was it. I, the only shift I really could have made was to be an ads manager. And I just knew that that was not for me. And so I I spent, you know, like 36 hours problem solving. And it was pretty apparent at that point, like, this is it. This is over. There were moments of hope, like maybe we can make it work with VAs overseas. And then there were moments of like devastation of like, no, it's over. But it got really quiet. And I knew, I knew I had to message all of my clients. And I needed to pay back like $10,000 to clients Mm. who had paid, because I had clients with me at that point who had been with me for two years. They'd pay in advance for a year at a time. And so I messaged all my clients. I closed up shop and it got really quiet in my life. And I went from $20,000 a month to zero overnight with a husband in college. So no sugar daddy in sight. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was scary. I got my book advance literally six days before that happened. And I had not saved well for a rainy day. I had bought every new website, tested that ad strategy, built the $7,500 course hub. Like I had put a lot of my money I made back into my business. And I don't regret that, but I would recommend saving for a rainy day. Um, And thank God that book advance came in because I was like, okay, I've got about six months. And at six months, we're going to sell the house and we're going to live with some friends. (laughs) And so that became the season of rebuilding and it getting really quiet. Um, But I think it's the best thing that could have happened. I mean, obviously happy to expand more, but the best really hard business lesson I could have learned at 29 years old. And so I was pretty prepared for COVID, you know, like no one wants to see all of the emotional work they've done um, be tested to double check that it's paid off. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was working with a money mindset person. I had a business mm. coach and a therapist. I was doing a lot of work in that season, dealing with a lot of fears. Am I a 29-year-old peaker? What if I'm a total loser? What if I never make that kind of money in my life again? What if, oh, from the heights with which we've fallen, like I've been up here and I'm going to be on my friend's couch here pretty soon. And, you know, it forced me to do a ton of identity work. So when COVID rolled around, I, I was like, I can do this. Even if I'm leveled, even if I have to start over all over again, I can do it because I've done it before. Yeah. I lo- I'm sure COVID like obviously it affected you, but I'm sure like, Oh, I got this. I've lost some things. We'll be okay. So. Yeah. I mean, I, um, my husband ended up getting laid off during COVID and I might've been a crazy person a year ago when that happened and been like mega anxious highly stressed, problem solving constantly, but I was able to function with a level of peace in a season where it was hard and unexpected, but I've I've done that rodeo before at this point. And I know every single time I can rebuild, we can make this work. And so it, it was a really good life lesson to learn at 29, but I mean, I wouldn't wish it even on my enemy. <laughs> yeah, that's it's crazy too that all that happened at 29 years old. Like you're still obviously figuring out yourself at that age. So totally. I mean, I'm very much still figuring out myself about almost two years later. And so it has been a wild ride. 
Um, but I do like who I am on the other side of it. You know, yeah. I, I live at a different pace. I set better boundaries. I trust that it, that abundance will come when I get a little scared. I love, I lived mm. so scared for so long. It was never enough. $20,000 a month were never enough. 50 clients, never enough. Always felt scared making that kind of money. I live with more peace now because that forced me to do the work, quite frankly, not having built back up to $20,000 a month, but I live with more peace and joy and happiness now than I did then. Hmm. You mentioned something too in that story about riding a high because you were, you know, crushing it one month and then you had a low, obviously, when things started to to crumble. So question-wise, like how do you suggest people like don't ride the highs too high and don't ride the lows too low? Because that's something I struggle with. Like if I have a killer sales month, next month I'm like, uh, maybe I could leave a little bit early because I did so well. But then if I'm having a low month, I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? So yeah, any, any oh intel guys there? It's a wild pendulum to swing on. And yeah. then sometimes you close a big deal and you're like, what if that's it? Oh my God, that, uh, when am I going to do that again? How long is it going to take to do that again? And it's like, can it ever be enough? Like, wow. And so, I mean, it's kind of too, it brings to mind the phrase, like when they talk about reviews with books or any type of creativity, probably music too. Like they say, don't believe the top 10% and don't believe the bottom 10%. If you mm. can ride somewhere in the middle, you know, it was probably wise for me to invest back in my business when I was making a ton of money at a time. But maybe I could have saved just a small percentage of that and put it in my savings for a rainy day. So that low month didn't have to feel bad. It could have felt peaceful and not scary. Now I know that, but I didn't know that when I was just having these quick injections of cash all the time. And so I think for the person who, who's trying to figure out how to not ride the highs, you've got to do the identity work too of not making your value and your worth about your money and, and, the total source of your high becoming how much you closed on that month. Because if, if you start to flip into that, it's going to be even worse when you have a low month. And so for me, I started meeting with a money mindset expert, literally six weeks. It was a 12 week thing that day that um, the algorithm shifted it. I knew like it's over. Um, was like the six week mark. It was exactly the middle. I couldn't have predicted it. It was the exact middle of our time together. And I remember thinking how divine, um, literally how interesting that I started working with her when it was really good so that she could be with me when it was really bad. And she'd seen me swing on this pendulum and hopefully she can bring me somewhere back to middle ground. And I just think it's important to do the work when it's really good so that you can weather the storm when it's really bad. Yeah. I really liked your point too, about not having your identity wrapped up, like just in the money, cause money's not always going to be here forever. And if you have those bad months, you're not going to really have much of an identity because they failed you. So totally. Well, I remember calling my dad um, and for him, you know, in flooring, all his eggs are in the builder basket. And mm. so it's pretty steady. Like it's not retail, it's builders. They're always building. It's pretty steady. But I called him one day and I was like, dad, this pendulum, the roller coaster of like high highs and low lows. He's like, 
that's business, baby. If you don't want to feel that way, you got to go work for someone else. And that was a big moment of like, no one who's on an entrepreneurial track is exempt from really high mountaintops and then some low valleys. Now, hopefully we can minimize the low valleys over time, but I don't think if you're getting started, there's any way around them. I think the only way is through. (laughs) So how do you plan for those? And how do you do the mindset work to carry you through those seasons? Yeah. What, um, what mindset work would you suggest? Uh, I think that's super important. Oh, well, let me (laughs) just tell you, Chris, I probably spent most of my uh, extracurricular income. That's not the word I'm looking for, but you get the idea on uh, mindset work in some capacity. So Hmm. big fan of therapy um, in general, you know, sometimes your coach is not your therapist. And so you probably need to go there go to a therapist for some of those things. Like I know we're going to talk about the fact that I realized I had OCD. My coach really doesn't know how to empower me through that. But then I always tend to have a business coach. Sometimes I shift from like strategy for a season. And then some some seasons it's confidence or I worked with a money mindset coach. I kind of tend to look at my pain point for that season. Um, But if you look at the A players, they're, they're investing in their mindset. And if I look at the masterminds I've been in, the strategy doesn't differentiate Hmm. that much. I literally was going through a training today with someone that's probably the biggest business investment I've ever made. And I realized in a strategy section, I wonder if he's in the same mastermind as my old coach because she teaches that. That's the same exact strategy. But the shifts I'm having with him are worth their weight in gold and money because he's sitting on a different mindset approach than anyone I've ever worked with. And so at some point, the strategy is just the strategy, but a, a different person might help you get to the core of a mindset issue that maybe someone else hasn't been able to in the past because that's their unique gift. And so, I, I mean, I've worked with every type of mindset um, strategist and I, I mean, I can give you a list of referrals right now to link in the show notes. I'm a big fan. That's the best money I've ever spent in my business. Yeah. I liked your point about not only the importance of business coaches, but, you know, I have a coach as well. And he teaches so many principles that like I've read in so many just famous business books, but it's almost like the way that he personally uh, chats about it and gets the information across. I relate to it so much better. So. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes it's their essence. That what you just said, I think is helpful too, when you're, when you're worrying and you're comparing yourself against someone else. Mm. If you remember those people that maybe taught you something you'd already heard, but it was their delivery that mattered. That's what sets all of us apart. There's nothing new under the sun. So I might be teaching a strategy that someone else also teaches, but who I am in the essence that I deliver it with might be the game changer for a client. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people gravitate towards people that are fairly similar to them. So if you have a coach that's totally close to you, then you're going to relate to them so much better. Totally. Um, so before we go into, I have some questions like about mentorship, of course, cause I know that's a lot of what your book is about. Uh, but just want to touch on the, the OCD failures. I know you br- uh, briefly brought it up, but I think the listeners will get a lot of value from, uh, from that story. Totally. So, you know, if I look back at my childhood, there are a lot of defining moments 
um, that are very clear. I was OCD. I mean, I had all these rituals. I would feel every wall of my house before I went to bed, the tapping, the checking, like anything you think of OCD wise, except organizing your kitchen and color coded drawers, I was embodying, but I didn't realize it because the stereotype for OCD is the color coded kitchen or closet or whatever. Like that's what we see on movies. And so I just had these rituals as a child. And it wasn't until I was listening to a Dax Shepard podcast, um, which is the last place you think you're going to go down a rabbit hole of OCD. It's just fun interviews with celebrities. But he was talking about trauma and how a lot of children who have gone through trauma, which every family has gone through their unique brand of pain. No one's exempt from that. But how some children internalize trauma by adapting control mechanisms and OCD can be one of those things because you try to control something when you feel out of control. Now I'm an Enneagram seven, so I don't think of myself as an overly controlling person. I'm like free spirited, fun, woohoo. But I've always had these little rituals that make me feel better and safe once I do them. As a kid, they were weird. Like Feeling every wall of your house before bed was definitely a faux pas sleepovers. You're trying not to be a weirdo, right? (laughs) But as an adult, somewhere in college, I was really able to shift probably when I was like, had roommates and it felt like extremely weird to feel the walls of my apartment before bed. At some point I was broken of those OCD habits um, and it shifted just into star student behavior. I'm going to compulsively work down my homework list, my class list, my volunteer list, every list in my life. And I'm going to delete it all. And I'm going to show up even if I am utterly exhausted and I have driven my body into the ground. I'm going to complete every single item on that checklist and I'm going to be the best. And so OCD as an adult, especially in an entrepreneurial space or really in any workspace can be totally rewarded. I mean, Mm -hmm. my OCD has been rewarded with success. Until this year, I literally started talking about with my therapist, I feel like I'm going to die if I don't check off my checklist before bed, the level of anxiety. I mean, I'd rather work till one in the morning than go to bed or close my laptop at six with an incomplete task. But the problem is you wake up to an inbox full of emails to new tasks at 7 a.m. Either way. So it never ends. And I had to assess is there a better way? Like at some point, the tasks really aren't going to end, especially if I'm choosing to be self-employed. Like I'm the person it falls back on at the end of the day. I can put checks and balances into place. I have a team who can help me, but I still, it's going to fall on me at the end of the day. And so I I started thinking like, there's got to be a better way. And I started discussing with my friends, my husband, like I can't stop. Like I, I just can't stop. And that's the conversation I was having in my personal life. But at the same time, I'm getting so rewarded for doing so much, for being so good at what I do, for always delivering it, not only done, but done with excellence, you know? And so that reward was kind of a fix. And I would obsess over these tasks and then compulsively check them off because that's a compulsion is like a fix for the obsession that you feel stressed about, right? There's a whole other slew of, of hallmarkers for OCD that I share. I do not want to leave a listener walking away 
with like, oh, it might not just be organizing your kitchen. Kitchen, It's also obsessing about your checklist. This is a level beyond that. And you can go to the account obsessively ever after. I think that's what it's called and find a laundry list of hallmarkers for OCD that I Mm. have totally lived with for 31 years and did not realize anyone out there out anyone else out there dealt with that but this is probably the most pertinent facet facet of it to my career and I really didn't realize that until probably the fall of 2020 and so once I realized that um it wasn't this like insanely pivotal moment in my life except for the fact that it it reminded me oh this doesn't just end if it wasn't for the fact um of public humiliation of not you know feeling the walls of my apartment before bed with roommates I would still be doing that at 31 years old Mm. so me obsessing over my to-do list is not just going to end by me wishing it into existence I have to ruthlessly set boundaries for myself to close my computer at 7 or 7 30 or whatever there's going to be seasons for running. My whole book launch season for eight weeks straight, there was rarely a day I closed my laptop at six. But I have to put a boundary into place to shift back into a normal season. And I am taking off for nine days next week. Nice. And when I come back, I cannot keep my laptop open past six or on weekends, which is hard for me. I like to work. I get a reward from working. It's fun. But I don't like who I am when I work till midnight every night. Yeah, I, so many cool things to unpack there um, <laughs> on that story. I really appreciate you, by the way, sharing that because uh, that's definitely something you went through. Um, I like that you mentioned at the last part about setting boundaries because OCD, that was essentially a bad habit that you dealt with. Totally. So I think that's so important to set boundaries on those bad habits. And I really did not even learn the word boundary. I mean, I did, but I didn't actually, you know, live it till about two years ago. So I'm relatively new. If I can implement boundaries, anyone can. Yeah. And you mentioned (laughs) just having a therapist and a coach. Like, I think that story is a prime example, just going back to the importance of those type of people in your life. Well, and yeah, and I think people don't want to put a label on everything. Mm. And I think millennials kind of get a rap, a rap of like, we're obsessed with therapy. We always talk about our feelings. We always label every issue we have in life and overshare. Um, we really don't talk about OCD that frequently now. It's like, cool, I have a name for it. This will not go away if I just like wish it into existence. Need to set a boundary, let's move on. And so it was just helpful for me to realize, oh, this is like a real problem and it will rule my life if I let it. And then I could address it healthily. Yeah. Great realization there too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. um, so speaking of just coaches and people helping you, uh, I know one of your big themes is just having a mentor that's already in your inner circle that really is like equally impactful as someone you put on a pedestal. So I would love if you can talk about that because I think mentorship is super important. Yeah. You know, I love mentorship. Again, I know it's not the sexiest topic on the planet. I mean, that was even some of the feedback I got when I was pitching this to publishers was mentorship doesn't sell. And it's like, well, I'll sell it because it's powerful. You know, it's changed my life. And I know there's a felt need for people our age, like, hey, I'd want someone to pass along their wisdom to me, count me in. And so for me, these women, but you know, it could be, you can have a mentor of any gender, but I, I have my first male mentor right now. Um, you know, the, the women who have walked the road ahead of me and just 
navigated it, gotten to, they certainly haven't arrived. No one's ever going to feel like they've arrived in life, but they have navigated a few steps ahead of me. They can look back and say, hey, swerve right, swerve left. Here's the straightest, clearest path. Mm. By all means, sign me up if I can have the straightest, clearest path to fun, freedom, joy, fullness, and avoid pain. Count me in. And so I feel like my mentors have really shortcut my distance to success, whether that's success in relationships, success in my career, success in juggling it all, you know, juggling a career, but also not being obsessed with my career and also having people around my dinner table. Um, I feel like these women have modeled that for me, told me everything they know and reached back and offered me a hand up when it felt like I was in the trenches. And so I can't help but want to do that for people a few steps behind me. Um, And you better believe like anything I'm learning I'm going to find someone who's already walked that road to mentor me. You know, Mm -hmm. this season felt like, I think I need a new voice in my life. I don't exactly know who they are or what it is, but I'm just going to be observant and aware. And then Mike Zeller pops into my inbox and I'm like, I think he's he's my guy. And there were a few people that I talked to that I had a few calls with. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like the right fit. This isn't my person. And then, you know, I had a few calls with him and I'm like, I think this is a voice I want to let into my life for this season. I think they're the right fit. Yeah. So within the mentorship itself, obviously it's super important. And the ROI is, is massive as you can tell with just how your success has been. But What's kind of the steps, I guess, like with the inner circle, is it finding someone on LinkedIn that you know, or Instagram and being like, Hey, I'll pay you X for Y, or how does that process really work? Yeah, I'd say in the business space, it is appropriate to probably look for someone that you have every intention of paying. If you're talking life, it might be weird to pay them, offer to help them fold their laundry, take them to coffee, whatever. Um, Or if they're an established business person that you might have a degree of separation from or a a small degree of separation from, then it it might be appropriate to like ask them to coffee and ask them to invest in your life. But if you really don't have a starting point or someone that's already in your life, I would start looking around and might ask for friends recommendations. I go off recommendations a lot and you better believe when I sign up to work with a mentor in a business format, I'm going to ask around like, Mm. what was your experience working with them? Was it positive? Is it a bunch of smoke and mirrors? Because in this online business space where everyone can have followers, it can't be a bunch of smoke and mirrors. And so I am responsible for the due diligence of Mm. whether this is a voice I want to let into my life. Like me as a mentee, I'm responsible for vetting a mentor. Um, But you also want to look for someone with aligned values. So when I got started, I saw these two women and obviously there's a thousand women running coaching businesses for strategy and business development and scaling um, in the online space. But these two women felt like we had pretty similar shared values. They were moms. I'm not a mom, but I did want to build a business so that one day I can go to a soccer game at three in the afternoon if I want. And so I, I recognize there's going to be educators out there that are going to equip you to hustle 12 hours a day. That's fine. That's just not what I want. I want freedom. I am in this to build a life of freedom. 
So I want to get to a place where I work six hours a day or four, maybe not in the beginning. I fully expect to maybe work 10 hours a day in the beginning, but long-term goal is to work six hours a day to be present while my kids are home. Sometimes also to have a babysitter sometimes. And these women are modeling that they make Mm -hmm. no apologies for crushing it in their career. They're respected. They're connected to some of the best of the best, but they're not social climbing. They're not transactional in their relationships and business. They're highly connected people and they kind of live a life format that I want with kind of the family, the business, all of it kind of woven together. They both involve a lot of their friends in their business. And so I was like, these are my girls. These are who I want to learn from. I joke all the time, like y'all are stuck with me for life. I don't need the shiniest new person who's famous right now. I just need y'all. Y'all model what I want out of life. Are we aligned in every area? No, we don't really share the same. I don't think any of us share the exact same religious beliefs. I don't need that from them. I just overall want to have a general aligned value. And that works for me. And so I think really looking for someone whose methods and whose life values align with yours, because there is a flavor out there for everyone. Like you can find that, but you do have to do your due diligence. And I think it will serve you well to ask for recommendations with from people who are like you, who have your same desires to say who you want with, what's worked well for you. Um, and then, and just to, to start hunting. They're out there. I promise. LinkedIn, Instagram, mm. um, a great, a great way to dig in could be to buy these e-course bundles out there because a lot of the times these people are putting their entry-level course in there. You can get a quick sample of 30 people for $97 or something. And then you can say, Ooh, I really like three of these. I'm going to hop on a discovery call with three of these people and see if they're my vibe. Yeah, I like that. And I think too, just like you mentioned, it's so important to match up your values just with with theirs. Because if you have somebody that's like, for instance, you want the freedom, but if you had somebody who's built a similar business, but they're like 45 working 15 hours a week, that's not going to be a good fit. Not going to be a good fit. Or like for me, you know, I was working with someone that was really pushing a sales process that was so unaligned for me. Mm. My body physically, she said in the meeting, your body is recoiling. Like you are totally rejecting everything I'm saying. I felt sick. I got a headache and I went home and went to bed at five. And I was like, okay, this is everything she's suggesting clearly makes me feel like I'm dying inside. So this is maybe not the best method for me. Um, With these mentors you've chatted with and just lessons behind that. I mean, what are some common traits you see and uh, some of these successful people? You know, I think the most common trait is they're investing in themselves too. You know, mm. the mentors, when I got started and I handed over that first $2,000, that hurt. I was, I had never spent anything like that in my life, um, except on like my car or my house, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so to hand that over, for business strategy and have no guarantee of what that would yield felt so risky. Um, but I knew in that case, Amber, I knew she was in a $30,000 mastermind. So like, not only am I paying for her wisdom, she has an MBA. She's clearly built two seven figure businesses. 
she lays her numbers out. There's no smoke and mirrors. There's a hundred people in this program that sing her praises. So I am seeing that credibility there. Um, I, I can trust that she is being invested in. And so not only am I getting her wisdom, I'm getting what she's currently learning passed down to me. It's like this beautiful trickle down effect. (laughs) And so I think it's not a requirement. Like maybe you're looking for a mentor that isn't currently investing in their education, but as long as they have, or that's a value in their life. um, I think that's something that is worth looking for in a mentor. I think just willingness, I think willingness, Trump shiny all day, every day. You know, mm. sometimes Tony Robbins, Marie Forleo, Oprah, whoever your person you're looking up to, they don't have time to mentor us. They probably had barely have time for their spouse or their best friend. But someone who is maybe closer to your journey is a little more available and willing. And actually, they're not so far ahead of you that they've forgotten what it's like to be in your shoes. They're just three steps ahead of you. And so they can say, hey, I was just walking that road last week, not last week, but last year. And I can tell you the best way through. I just navigated this. I'm not so far removed that it's gotten, you know, that I've forgotten. And so I think that willingness and that availability goes a long way and it trumps shininess or someone on a pedestal every single time. Yeah. I liked what you mentioned, just like the willingness behind it. I mean, the willingness to do the work is so important. Um, And also something you mentioned too, was these people are available. I mean, people are willing to help you out, especially if they're only two, three years ahead of where you want to be. Because they're like, oh, I remember what that was like. I'll help you out. Well, yeah, for, for me, when I got an Amber's program, she's like, awesome. And here's my number. And I was like, wait, what? There's a hundred of us in here. Why? You don't have to give me that. And, you know, I, it is her phone number, but maybe, maybe that's because I was an early person. I don't know, but maybe, maybe it's a Google number now and not everyone <laughs> yeah. has it. But, you know, I, I think that I was so utterly shocked at her availability to people. Now, does she answer at all times? No. And she might get back to you four days later, but she's found a way to be available that works for her life. Mm. And she might catch her while she's at the grocery store. Like, Hey, Kelsey, just got your box. Gonna message you, you know, uh, back and answer. She's available. Not every second she's boundaried, but she is available in the format that works best for her life. And I love that. She's just there. She's just, there for me. If I have a big question that pops up when I need her, she's kind of like my board of advisors. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, question about the willingness. I know when we were uh, collaborating on email about just lining this up, I sent you the podcast guest form, which I sent everyone now that it's getting bigger. It's just easier to, to uh, maintain guests. And the question that I ask on there is, you know, what separates you apart from these guests? And you gave such a cool answer that I've never got. You said, uh, I believe my heart is really what, and my willingness to serve something around that nature is really what sets me apart. Um, I love that answer because everyone always just like brags about what they've done, which like I'm kind of looking for, but I'm looking for more like a humility approach. And that one was just perfect. So I'd love if you could elaborate on that. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I am so annoyed by the flexing that is constant in this online space. I want to hear someone's stats. I can look them up. It's on their bio. It's on their LinkedIn. That's fine. I, I can look up someone's stats anywhere. Um, and I, I will tell you my numbers in the sense of, you know, 
here's who I'm going to share it with. Here's my email list so that you know your show is also getting in front of my people. I definitely want someone I'm pitching to to know that I have these numbers not to flex for my own image, but to serve you and getting yeah. you in front of more people. But we can we can do the flexing somewhere else. I think it is an it is um directly reflective of how in this space we can be so transactional. And I as a podcast host, I get pitches all the time. I'm not actively podcasting at the moment. I get pitches up all the time that it's like, okay, this sounds a lot more about this helping you than you caring about serving my audience at all. And I think podcast guests should be approaching it of like, you are so gracious to open up your platform, your virtual home to me. How can I serve you and your vision and your people? That is what I'm here for. The end, not to make it about me or to flex or to social climb. Yeah. So you're, you're not one of these online uh, individuals that, you know, rents a Lambo, puts it on Instagram. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of those out there. It seems like it's getting more and more, but uh, no, I just thought that was a cool response. Cause like, to your point, I get approached a lot as well. And it's like, Hey, you know, I just came out with this and this and this, like, I want to highlight it. And then you were one of the few that's like, Hey, I want to serve your audience. Um, so I thought it was just really cool response on your end. You. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get on more podcasts, definitely keep doing that because uh, it, it stuck <laughs> out. Um, so last question that I always like to ask here is just with your journey so far of going through a lot of different um, experiences, what would be that one word to just really describe the success that you've had so far? Fun. I think, you know, I would not be doing this if it felt like a constant grind. Now it's a grind someday. I think my life philosophy is like there's a season for running and a season for resting. But the second that the overall theme of what I'm doing is not fun, why am I doing it? I can have fun flipping a house, which I actually do consider really fun and might make a second career out of. But if this no longer becomes fun, I... I trust myself enough to know that I can go make money somewhere. And so I'm going to do this as long as it's fun. I hope I can keep it fun forever. I love connecting with people. People are what I burn for. And so as long as I keep it people centric, I think it's going to stay fun. It can change formats. That's fine. As long as people stay, you know, the main focus, I think it's all fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's an awesome word. Um, I want to give you a chance to highlight your stuff, obviously your book, if you want to elaborate more on that and then just whatever you want the listeners to know about. Yeah. So I, um, just released my book. If we are on video at this point, it's right here. Kelsey, uh, Kelsey Chapman, what they taught me. And then, you know, you can always find me on Instagram. That's where the real party is at. This year's going to be a fun one. I like to run online business retreats. Um, summits. We've got a few summits coming down the pipes. And then I run Radiant Media, which is a podcast pitching agency that was really birthed out of my annoyance of bad pitches. And so here we are. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, I'll put all that in the show notes. Definitely want all the listeners to, uh, to, to hear that. I'll put the link to your book as well. Um, and I definitely think it'll be a good read for them. Thank you so much, Chris. It was so fun to chat today. Yeah, Kelsey, thank you so much for the time. Well, that's it, guys, for this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. And, of course, check out Kelsey's book, What They Taught Me. 
And as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.